A young Joseph Gordon-Levitt proves that one thing has always been true. That the angels can only win through divine intervention. This is Angels in the Outfield. It's time for Video Store Wasteland. Hello and welcome back. I am Brian and this is Video Store Wasteland. And as you heard in my little intro, we are talking today about the 1994 movie Angels in the Outfield. Uh, so it's a movie from 1994. We've already done that uh, year before for Little Giants. That was 1994. So instead of doing our usual listing of the top 10 movies of that year, we're going to go ahead and actually look into what events happened in the year of 1994. Because at this point, you know, like we already know what uh, movies came out that year. There's a lot of like Jim Carrey stuff, a lot of comedies. We have, you know, Dumb and Dumber, Junior, Ace Ventura, stuff like that, Airheads. Uh, but let's look at events that happened in that year, 1994. If you're in California, you know that was the year of the Northridge earthquake that happened there on January 17th, 1994. So that's how the year opened up, at least in California-wise. You know, if you've seen the pictures of that disaster, that's a disaster. This movie, Angels in the Outfield, came out in July 15th, 1994, which... Uh, is interesting too because also that year it was released less than a month before the 1994 MLB strike which forced them to cancel the playoffs and the World Series and that is very topical for this episode really because uh, and I'm releasing it for uh, two reasons one I love Angels in the Outfield two it is baseball season Finally, talk about that a little bit more, but I'm releasing it for, you know, opening day. But a little bit more that happened in 1994, you know, Forrest Gump won uh, Best Picture, earned. Uh, we have that year of the Rwandan Massacre. So if you watch Hotel Rwanda, you kind of know the whole situation there. And that happened in 94. We have South Africa, you know, holding its first national elections and that's the year mandela got elected president um we also have the ceasefire between the ira and the northern irish uh government so there's that and then that's the year that the gulf war starts jesus and the russians attack chechnya oh my god well, that's not exactly what I was expecting from this year. You know, I just opened up 1994 news stuff, and that's not what I was expecting. But also that year was the uh, World Cup, right? Hold up. 1994. Yep, World Cup. And that one was held in the U.S. That was the U.S. World Cup. If I know that World Cup. Yep, that's it. Okay, so that year... Brazil beat Italy 3-2 in penalty shootouts. Um, if you don't know what penalty shootouts is, is when a game ends nil-nil, they go into extra time. If that still ends in nil-nil, they go into penalty shootouts where, you know, whoever scores the most at the end wins. But you know what? Italy. You've missed it twice. Oh, no! Come on, let's, let's get back there. Anyway, 1994. 
what else are we looking at in terms of important events? Well, if we're looking at U.S. events, that's <laughs> that's the year Nancy Kerrigan, you know, was attacked, and uh, she was a uh, three people arrested. And it was wow, Clinton was accused of sexual harassment while he was governor of Arkansas, and I think '94 was also the first year of the Clinton presidency. No second year of the Clinton presidency. Newt Gingrich was the Speaker of the House back then. And, oh, wow. 94 was... <laughs> 94 was the O.J. Simpson stuff. <laughs> well, shit. That's crazy. Okay. If I okay, so if I remember correctly, there is a documentary. It's a thirty for thirty. Thirty for thirty are doc, sports documentaries that ESPN puts out. Since we're talking about sports here, and nineteen eighty four at the time, it uh, that day of the white Bronco chase was the day the World Cup started. So that's the opening opening ceremonies of the World Cup. It was believe game five or game six of the NBA uh, championship between Houston, the Houston Rockets and the New York Knicks. What else happened that there was like, dude, that documentary is really interesting because there was uh, that day we've had like seven different uh, like events happening, like sports events uh, happening that day, like this specific day. Uh, just go watch. I forget what it's called. I'll, li I'll link it later. Uh, I'm going to link it right here. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Future Brian. The name for the 30 for 30 is June 17th, 1994. It's on ESPN 30 for 30. Go watch it. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. It was also the year that Kirk Cobain died. Rest in peace, Kirk. Your music was great. Woodstock 94, that's perfect. All right, so that's 1994 in like, oh, and Nixon died. <laughs> so, hey, something good happened that year. Uh, but, you know, that's just a little deviation of what we normally do. So instead of talking about movies that came out in 1994, which we already did for our Little Giants episode, that's a little bit of what, uh, what happened, at least in the United States in 1994. Uh, now let's go ahead and move on to... More the cast and crew of this movie. Jose, can't you see? Wait a second. The first word is Jose? I thought it was Jose. We know. Wow! It's about a Spanish guy! Alright, so when we're looking at Angels in the Outfield, first thing is incredible to see is that there is a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He plays the lead, you know, lead kid actor, the kid who brings all the angels to the team. Well, spoiler alert. Hey, guess what? There's going to be spoilers in here. Uh, then we also have a young Matthew McConaughey and a young Adrian Brody. And Matthew McConaughey plays an outfielder in the movie. Adrian Brody plays a utility infielder. Uh, I will do a separate episode about baseball in general later, just because uh, I love baseball and I would love to just explain more. But uh, this is the year after Days and Confused for, for Matthew McConaughey. In the same year, he was in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. And for Adrian Brody, this is for him. Let's say 94 for Adrian Brody. It's crazy because these guys were so 
young at the time. So for 94, for Adrian Brody, he's still just kind of getting his, you know, legs in the industry. He was just a voice in an episode of King of the Hill. And after Angels in the Outfield is where he gets more of his, uh, I guess, more of who, you know, of Adrian Brody-ness. Because the piano didn't come out for a while after that, I think. The pianist. Pianist came out in... I, I'm sorry, I laughed at myself for saying pianist, pianist, but pianist came out in 2002, this was 94. Uh, other people in this movie, we have the one, the only, Dr. Emmett J. Brown. Great Scott! Yes, Christopher Lloyd, he's the boss angel in the movie. Then we have Tony Danza, who plays Mel Clark. We knew Tony Danza from his time in TV and Taxi. Was, yeah, Taxi and Who's the Boss. And, you know, you, we can we can make an argument about who's the boss and who's the boss. It's a whole episode of Community about that. Go watch Community. Great show. We have Danny Glover, who plays George Knox, who is the manager of the, well, at the time it's the California Angels, because they weren't the Los Angeles Angels until, like, to 2001, 2000, around there. And we know Danny Glover from Lethal Weapon. He's, uh... He's the guy who, uh, I'm too old for this shit. So, yeah, it's Danny Glover. Then we have really nobody else in the movie. Dermot Mulroney plays uh, Joseph Gordon-Levin's dad. There's really nobody else in the movie that I would say is, you know, some something like, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levin or Adrian Brody, Christopher Lloyd, Tony Danza, stuff like that. Moving on to more of the production side, so more creative side of this. The movie was directed by a man named William Deere. He is most known for writing and directing Harry and the Hendersons. I love that movie. He wrote The Rocketeer. He directed Time Riders, you know, director of Angels in the Outfield. He uh, also did the <laughs> direct-to-video sequel to The Soundlot. So, you know... Yeah, take the good with the bad. And that what's left, that's what you have. The facts of life. Uh, I hope that joke lands. <laughs> anyway, uh, the movie, movie itself, yeah, is actually a remake from a movie from 1951. So most of the story is coming from that. The three writers that are listed under IMBD. Dorothy Kingsley, George Wells, and Richard Collin. They're all credited for the 1951 screenplay. I believe they were also called back to write this movie. So, let's see, yeah. Oh, Holly Goldberg Sloan wrote the original, wrote this screenplay. Dorothy Kingsley, George Wells, in the third person I mentioned, wrote the 1951 Angels in the Outfield. Uh, and then moving on, uh, who was the DP? That's right. Uh, oh, sorry. Musical department, we have Randy Edelman. He's the composer. He also did the music for Last of the Mohicans, seven, Six Days, Seven Nights, which is a Harrison Ford movie. Only reason I know that movie is because of my grandmother. Uh, and then we're looking at the DP, Matthew F. Leonetti. I don't, I don't think I should add that much, you know, Italian to the, to the end of it, but, you know, there's some sauce for you. Uh, but the man did... 
Star Trek First Contract, Contact and Insurrection. He also is the DP for well, uh, the not the best Fast and Furious sequel, but it is up there. He did do camera work for Too Fast, Too Furious. He also did some, you know, 80s classics like Weird Science, Jumping Jack Flash, Action Jackson. Uh, he was the DP for Fast Times at or Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and as well as Poltergeist. Which, if you haven't watched Poltergeist, do yourself a favor and go watch Poltergeist. It is a hell of a movie. I love Poltergeist. We'll actually get to that later, maybe for like a Halloween series, but great movie. So yeah, that's what we're looking at in terms of who's in the movie and who made the movie. And when you put those things together, like it really doesn't seem like it should work, mostly because for me, I like I I legitimately have not watched Angels in the Outfield in maybe 20 years. Probably the last time I watched it was when it was running on TV when I was a little kid. Um, and obviously back then I loved it because, you know, you have, it's a kid's movie. And I think by that time I was already introduced to Back to the Future, so I recognized uh, Christopher Lloyd as Doc Brown already. So for me it was like, oh, cool, you know, I know that guy. Even was when he was little, I was like, hey, I know that guy. You know, so I had a weird childhood. Um, but it doesn't feel like it should work, but it works. It's not, again, kids movie. You, you go through the reviews of these people and people want to place it up there with like actual cinema classics. This is just a kids movie. And, uh, you know, and with, without, without further ado, we might as well just get into it. Just, let's just talk about the dang thing. I thought the game started at one. It does start at one, and you're a jackass. No, I'm a pitcher. All right, so actual discussion of Angels in the Outfield. You know, I'm kind of excited for this, mostly because, A, it's baseball, and like I said, we are fast approaching. Or, no, it's already here. It's baseball season. After that lockout, man, I was, I was ready for some baseball. So, like I said, yeah, it is a remake of a 1951 movie. That movie, Angels in the Outfield, surround, or centers itself around the Pittsburgh Pirates, which, if you ask me, they probably need divine intervention right now because the Pirates suck. Oh, my God, the Pirates suck. I'm just going to sit with that thought for it. I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, this is in the California Angels, which uh, at the time, 1994, the Angels were the California Angels before they transitioned to being the lost, or the Anaheim Angels in about 2000, late 90s, so 99, 2000, because they won the World Series 2002. And then Art Moreno, their owner, around the mid-2000s, early 2010s, decided to, I think, sue the state of California to get the name rights back to the team. And that's where we had the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. I think they're just the Los Angeles Angels. They're out in Anaheim. They're right across the street from 
it's not even the pond anymore. It's the Honda Center. It used to be called the Anna, the, the pond. That's where the ducks play. You know, the ducks play at the pond. It makes sense. Uh, but it's all around there. And 1994, interesting thing that happened there. The actual movie was not filmed at Angel Stadium or in California Angel Stadium, uh, I guess at that point. It was filmed at the Oakland Coliseum and throughout the movie when you have wide shots, crowd shots of the ballpark, you will see a sign that says Coliseum on the side of it. Uh, I mean, obviously for sports fans, we're going to catch it immediately. For the layman who's just watching this movie because they want to watch like a cute little movie, they're not going to notice that it says Coliseum or even know the fact that there's a thing called the Oakland Coliseum. But the reason for that is that filming uh, was taking place at the time that the NFL season was going on. And at that time, being that the California Angel Stadium was a multi-purpose stadium, the Los Angeles Rams were actually using it. And that was during the time where I believe the Coliseum, as in the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, was being renovated. So they couldn't really use it at the time. So the Raiders, who were in... Los Angeles at the time, and the Rams had to find a separate location, I think, a couple years after that. Yeah. No, the Raiders were already in Oakland, and they weren't using the stadium. They were using another place. And at the time, 94, is also the year that the Rams left L.A. for St. Louis. They didn't come back to 2016. Ladies and gentlemen, this is now a sports podcast. <laughs> uh, damn. But okay. To the movie. Uh, this is actually going to be the first one that I'm going to say is our scene on VHS series. I know I didn't introduce it as that at the beginning of the movie, uh, beginning of the episode, but it, I I had this I had this movie on VHS. Did I own it as a kid? No, it's not the same movie I had as a kid. I went to a Goodwill and I found it. Um, go go Patreon your Goodwills your thrift stores because. Look, you don't you don't need to be buying new stuff all the time, especially clothes. All right, I go donate a bunch of clothes to the Goodwill. You just go, go to a Goodwill, go to a thrift store. You never know what you're gonna find. You never know who you're gonna meet. That's all it's about, you know. Go be with people. Go to a sports game. Go to a baseball game. Damn it. Anyway, the movie opens up, and a rather typical way of a Disney movie. This is the opening credits. It's angels in the outfield. So they show blue sky with clouds signifying angels. And then, you know, the kids go running through. And it's really indicative of, like, a movie that is supposed to be heartwarming because that's what you get throughout it. Because the opening 10, 15 minutes of the movie, you get everything that you need to know. You need to know two things. You need to know, or a couple things. You need to know that Joseph Gordon-Levin and his friend are not exactly orphans, but they are wards of the state. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levin's dad, played by Joe Mulroney, uh, doesn't want to pick him up. He just leaves him there with the foster home, or I, I don't know what it is. I think it's a short-term foster home, technically, is what the name of it is, or what the status of it is. And you just need to know that he doesn't want him, and there's a line at the beginning of the movie that honestly breaks my heart. Every uh, oh man, I'm already joking up thinking about it, but George and Gordon Levitt 
Levitt asks his dad, "When were we going to be a?" F- hey, give me, give me a second. I ah, fuck. All right, give me a second to actually collect myself, because I will start crying right now. Because it's a, f- it's a line. It is a freaking, freaking line. Joseph Gordon-Levitt asks his dad, "When are we going to be a family again?" And his dad just responds to him, looking at this. Oh, it's just, look, the movie's not going to win that many awards for anything, but this sequence to me just, oh. So he asks, when are we going to be a family again? And his dad goes, from where I see it, when the angels win the pennant. And he just rides off on his motorcycle like a dickhead that he is. If your heart don't break during that, like, man, I'll be right back. I gotta, I gotta go. This cry break brought to you by tissues. Whether you use them for your tears or whatever other reason you use them for, tissues. Now back to the game. All right, then I'm back. The emotions are gone. Oh, gone as they cried out. Anyway, uh, so like I was saying, beginning 20 minutes of the movie, you know, that's a heartbreaking situation for him, being a foster kid. You know, I feel for everybody in the system. I, I do hope your lives do get better or have turned out better than they were. But you have that, you establish that he's a bad living situation and you also established one big major thing which was the center of the movie is that the california angels suck you show you show the beginning of the game and it's one of the pitchers who is a little you know not he's a couple cents short of a dollar let's just say and the whole team is just awful you have matthew mcconaughey and another outfielder colliding on a routine pop fly you have the pitcher who throws two pitches of warm-up then starts throwing completely outside the zone i could throw better than that dude and i'll probably i probably throw 50 miles an hour 50 60 is where i top out my curveball tops at about 72 not that I'm trying to to uh, impress any of you baseball scouts uh, listening to the show because I know I know this show I've seen I've seen my my statistics and uh, baseball managers and scouts are my number one you know demographic in my mind in the imaginary statistics I have on my laptop. Woo! <laughs> but you know you you set that up, and a lot of the movies just. As much as the movie does center itself around montage, it is a sports movie. And I know I've said on the South Park deconstruction episode that don't, or and the uh, Little Giants episode that try not to rely too much on montage. But unfortunately, that's what works for the movie. Or fortunately, that it is what that's what works for the movie because uh, a lot of the story is just Joseph Gordon Levitt going there, praying for the. Praying for a family, and that's the whole impetus for Angels to even show up to the game. Because, uh, you know, they had this whole thing with uh, another one of the kids that is in the foster system. He's kind of a dickhead. And he, you know, it's, says his prayers. Because of the 
Foster Lady says to say your prayers, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt says his nightly prayers and his is for a family and for the or he's like, my dad says we can be a family when the angels win the pennant. So you know, could you help me out by having the angels win the pennant? He goes to the game the next day, and that's when angels show up. You're introduced to Christopher Lloyd as the lead angel, and this all happens when a ball gets hit by the batter to. Deep center field, 400 yards. Matthew McConaughey is running down center field, and he gets lifted up by a couple of angels to catch the ball. Look, earlier in that sequence, one of the pitchers hits a line drive, 400 yards straight down the middle. That's impossible. It hits the wall. It doesn't happen. Okay, calm yourself. Look, there's a few things I'm passionate about, and baseball is is one of them. So I might get loud. Speaking of baseball, so uh, turn your headphones down a little bit or, you know, do whatever you want. Uh, but that whole sequence, actually the sequence before, I didn't talk about that. That fuck, Danny Glover gets in a fight with his own team. Like there's a whole brawl and the other, the visiting team tries to come out to to get in the brawl, but it, it's a, you know, it's a team self-team on team brawl you know it's cannibalism and you just need to know that the team sucks and danny glover doesn't know what to do with with them uh and like i said you know there's the the picture that that's not all there in in the head he's two and 11 which is a win-loss record so two wins 11 losses on the season so at that point he's already had 13 starts and i don't know why you don't pull him after that uh, <laughs> but it, again, you, you, uh, you get stacked up on, on the fact that, you know, a couple things, team sucks. The announcer has a grudge against the skipper played by Danny Glover to the point where he wants to bring down the team. The whole thing with Joseph Gordon-Levitt is that he's the only one who can see the angels. So they win the game with the help of the angels because the angels help the angels win the game. And at that point, you know, there's a, like a drawing and that's how you get connected with Danny Glover and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I'm just going to explain the whole movie. Like, all this is great. Because really, that's all the story. Because from then on out, it's just them uh, building this this team and these relationships between each other. It's honestly, surprisingly, a very almost character-driven movie. Uh, although the characters aren't as strong as that I would kind of like them to be because I like I like my character stories really about that drama about people changing but the thing is there's like no lessons people learn in this movie well I guess the lesson is is that a couple things you, you gotta believe and uh let's see is that the one yeah you gotta believe okay so that that is a tagline that was coined by Tug McGraw, who was a player for the one, the only, the York, New York Mets. Yeah, I know, that comes with a lot of uh, fanfare because the Mets, the Mets are the Mets. But but that was uh, during the ninety or 73 season to try to turn around the uh, season for them, and they did. Uh, going to the World Series, but they lost that year because, you know, it's the Mets. And in 1980, they also used it again when they played the Phillies. 
uh, oh, he used he used it. Tug McGraw used it again when he was on the Phillies, and the Phillies won the World Series that year. But you know, it's the Mets, and the Mets never do it. God damn Mets. Anyways, <laughs> and a lot of the movie, like I said, does surround montage. So it's uh, they they do the story. You learn a little bit about the team. You know how the. For Danny Glover, it's magic that it's working, whatever. So he brings back Joseph Gordon-Levin and his friend uh, uh, to be, I guess, quote-unquote, mascots for the team. And at that point, they just show up every game, and Joseph Gordon-Levin tells him, like, oh, you know, angels are here by giving him a sign, because baseball's all about signs. And that's how the 2017 Houston Astros cheated their way into the World Series. Oh, did you think I wasn't going to bring that up? I'm talking to you, Carlos Correa. All right, man. Directly to you. If anybody knows Carlos Correa, send this to him. Please. And if you don't, just tag him on everything. Just say, Carlos Correa, you suck. Just just tell him that. Just tell. I know he's not on the Astros anymore, but just go ahead and tell Carlos Correa that he sucks. I want to see him squirm. That man is un- unapologetically a cheater. So is that entire... T- I, again, I told you, baseball. I love it. I love baseball. But uh, a lot of, you know, signs in baseball. So that's his whole... I believe that, that the Angels did adopt it for a little bit is when the kid stands up and he like flaps his wings like he's a bird or an angel. And that's how, you, how he let Danny Glover know that there's an angel of the team. And honestly, from then, it's just montage of angels helping the team. And then it goes back and forth between that. So you learn a little bit more of the kids' backstories and a little bit more of Danny Glover. You get to know the team and their struggles a little bit. And it's just a lot of that. Uh, It is a drama more than a comedy, I believe. And it balances it out very, very incredibly well for what they're given because like you feel for the kid but then you're taking out of it with you know the angels helping out the team and the really bad cg see i watched it on vhs and even it, it even looked horrible and guess what i'm gonna say it jurassic park came out in 1993 i have vhs of jurassic park i saw it god damn it still holds up even on vhs even 47 years after, you know, it's great that 52 years later, that CG still looks great on a TV that's 87 years old. So it's great. I love it. But, you know, CG and Angels in the Outfield is not, I mean, what, what can you blame it? It's not trying to be a, a, a vehicle for that. It's being a vehicle for drama. And it does it well. More the movie does bring itself out as a baseball drama towards the end of it because at a certain point Jordan Gordon-Levitt does have a hearing about his custody and that's where his dad just leaves him there to become a complete ward of the state and you know it's again you again you like really really feel for the kid because you know, at that point where that happens, the team's already won so many games and everybody's feeling great about it. And the teams are winning games without the help of the Angels because 
it honestly just proves at that point that you just need a tiny little push, get that confidence, and get it out there. That's what happened last year for the Seattle Mariners in the last quarter of the season. It's the only reason I have a Seattle Mariners hat. I bought into that Seattle Mariners hype at the end of the season because, dude, you just got to believe it could happen, in which it could happen is said seven times by the uh, the other kid in the movie. Uh you know, he's not that great of a kid actor, but, but you know. Actually, you know what? Joseph Gordon-Levitt at the time, I think. I think that was already Third Rock from the Sun at the time that this sh- this movie came out. But, uh, yeah, the last year the Mariners won, like, was it 17 of their last 20 games? And they lost, like, the last game to miss the playoffs? Dude, you just... You had to, you had to have been there. Please, just watch a baseball game. You know, there's so many, so many players got moved around. Corey Seager is now on the uh, Texas Rangers, and uh, there's a specific reason why I mentioned that. You know who you are. Uh, but yeah, it's crazy. It's it's. I, I love I love baseball. I love baseball movies. This whole month we're gonna do baseball movies. So if you're not into baseball movies, you know, I'm sorry. But that's just what it's gonna be. Uh, so we're just gonna go ahead and, and and say that. I guess the only thing that is learned is that Danny Glover's character does become less of a curmudgeon-y old man because he does end up adopting Jordan Gore-Levin and the other kid in the foster care. Uh, you know, that's cool. You know, he does it at he he only brought the kids in at first because they were winning. As he calls them mascots, like holy crap! Like to just to reduce somebody to that. Although I'm not saying I wouldn't like to be a mascot. I mean, look at Benny the Bull for the Chicago Bulls. Like he looks like he has a lot of fun, and I don't know how much he gets paid, but I bet I bet it's a lot of fun being him. Any anyway. Oh yeah, that's right. There's some stuff with like the a vet on the team or vet as a veteran player who used to play for Danny Glover when he was the or Danny Glover's character of Knox when he was the manager of the Cincinnati Reds, which is another team. Which, funny enough, the Cincinnati Reds originally were the Cincinnati Red Sox, but you can't have two Red Sox in in the in the league. So you know, Cincinnati Reds, the Boston Red Sox. Let's go Mets. Let's go Dodgers. But, you know, that veteran you know, gets brought in and it gets, it gets explained later on in the movie that he's going to die because he was a lifelong smoker. Uh, and that, uh, I don't know, I, I think it's supposed to bring some sort of emotional depth to the finale of the of the movie because the finale isn't the World Series. It is the Western Division pennant, which the pennant is just, you know, you, want, you won your division, right? So the Dodgers have won the pennant. Uh, the NL West pennant seven, eight years in a row now. It's a movie podcast, not a baseball podcast. If you want a baseball podcast, go over to John Boy Media. Trust me, if you like baseball, you'll love it after after listening to him and uh, and Jake and Trevor Plouffe. I love that show. That John Boy and Red Letter Media. That's just that's just who I, that what I watch. Uh. 
But, you know, that veteran, he gets thrown into a game after someone gets pulled out, and he throws a complete game shutout. Complete game means the pitcher went nine innings, faced 27 batters, well, minimum 27 batters. Shutout, well, no, he faced 27 batters, because if it's a shutout, that means he let zero runs, uh, zero runs on. It's not a perfect game because a perfect game means you don't let anybody on base. Again, I will do a podcast about baseball. It'll be a bonus episode, but yeah, that's just what it is. That pitcher later on gets put into the championship game, and the circumstances of the end of the game, it's the Angels versus the White Sox, and it's Angels are winning by a minimum. I think it was one one score, but... Angels are the home team. It's the top of the ninth. And if the home team wins, you know, the game's over top of the ninth. If not, they go to the bottom of the ninth. But top of the ninth, Angels are pitching. Red Sox are at bat. The Angels led, or Angels in the movie let up three runners on base. So three runners on base means base is loaded. And in a base is loaded situation, you have the opportunity for a grand slam. At that point, the skipper... I'm just going to call him the skipper, George Knox, the manager of the baseball team. He comes in and he uh, he's going to give him a pep talk because, you know, you got to talk your picture. You got to talk to them, talk them through. You're either going to take him out or you're going to tell him, like, hey, dude, you got to step it up. And at that point, it is explained the man has thrown 156 pitches. Let me explain to you how ridiculous 156 pitches is. Normally... A pitcher is taking out at 100 pitches, and if it's an average pitcher, he reaches 100 pitches around the seventh inning, sixth or fifth if they have a bad inning, or if they're just being really efficient with, uh, let's say, 27 batters times three, so 60. Well, yeah, no. You could get a, a complete game less than 100 pitches. He's throwing 156. His arm is dead. I think the most I've seen was Scherz, Max Scherzer, who now plays for the New York Mets. This was back when he was on the Washington Nationals. He had 110 pitches. That man's insane. I love him. But this is a crazy situation. And at that point, that's where Danny Glover comes out, and he goes and gives him a little speech like, hey, you, you uh, the pitcher says, hey, man, I, I got nothing. The pitcher played by Tony Danza. He's like, I got nothing left. He's like, no, <laughs> fucking, oh, I fucking love baseball. Danny Glover comes up, he's like, no, you got one strike left. And you're like, oh, yes, baseball. Because uh, that's it. That's all you need. You just need one strike. And that's when the entire stadium comes up and they do the, the angel flapping thing with the music. Oh, my God. I'm going to need another moment. I'll be back. This emotional break brought to you by baseball. Baseball, the strongest drug there is. Injected into your veins. Baseball. I love baseball. I'm sorry. But they, everybody comes up. The music's swelling. And he sees it. And and Danny, and uh, the pitcher goes, hey, do we? Do I have an angel with me? And, and you know, that's where everybody stands up. And, and then Danny Glover goes, yeah, look around you. Oh, it's such a good fucking. It's a good moment. It's like, unfortunately, the whole movie isn't like that. Because it's like the beginning of the movie, some comedy, then, mm, bleh. 
and by I mean like droll drama that isn't really I wouldn't say necessary but written out right like it is very heavy subject that the fact that the kid is in foster care and I they do touch it very very lightly so if you're coming for a drama about that this is not the right place but that's what it is so yeah, that movie and movie ends like that and it's just this big old swell. Like, I know, I know I'm supposed to like tear down these movies, but like, as much as it is a nostalgia fest, like Little Giants was, Little Giants does not hold a candle to Angels in the Outfield. It barely does. Little Giants, like Space Jam, started as a commercial. So, Angels in the Outfield remake, Disney remake. Say what you say about Disney never having any original ideas. They haven't had any original ideas forever. First movie, first movies they did was Snow White. That's not an original idea. Disney's been creatively bankrupt for years. Ooh, I, 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 I could feel, I could feel my job prospects lowering after that. <laughs> oh well. Uh, but you know, this movie, besides being a nostalgia, it's just a great baseball movie i'm not expecting baseball movies sports movies to win awards or win over the vast majority of the population because at that point why would you want it to you just wanted to to reach out to baseball fans and that's what this movie is that's what i love it for uh, and if you haven't noticed yes i've hundred hundred thousand percent recommend this movie it's not on any streaming sites so unfortunately you would have to buy the physical copy off of amazon but uh that's what you would have to do you'd have to go out and buy it go get yourself a dvd player go get yourself a combo dvd vhs player then go to goodwill pick up some vhs pick up some dvds and you're good to go that's all you need to do like I literally went to a Goodwill. That was the first movie I saw. Saw that one. Then I saw another copy of Jurassic Park. But that I have like five copies of Jurassic Park on VHS. Maybe I have a little obsession. Maybe I don't. You be the judge. But anyway, that is uh, that is Angels in the Outfield. I'm Brian. And I hope to see you once again here in the Wasteland.